Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mass murder. A very serious and dark topic. Whether it's referring to modern unfortunate events with public shootings cruel wars around the world, or historical cases like Richard Speck. Richard had a very dark history of his own. A dark history involving substance abuse and trouble with the law. Everything he was involved with escalated throughout his life, and it would all come together in a tragically violent night where nine nursing students found themselves helpless to Richard's every whim. How's it going? My name's Ben. And I'm Nicole, and you're listening to Wicked and Grim. A true crime podcast. You doing it? There it is. Boom. How's it going, everyone? We're a day late, but it's going to be worth it. We did a lot of bit, a lot of research on this case, so sorry for that. We apologize, but hey, better late than never. That's true. Sometimes we need that little bit of extra time. Mm-hmm. We're I, human. We're trying our best over here. We, we are. really are. We work day jobs, you know. This is just kind of like a side hustle, a fun thing that we do. So mm-hmm. forgive us once in a while. These things happen. But we are still here and we got an epic case coming down for you guys. Once in a while, life just happens, you that's know? True. That's true. I think true. that's just the case for everyone. Life I, gets in the way. I mean, that was certainly the case for my parents when I was born. Oh, my words. <laughs> they would not agree with that. I know. I'm the best child. You are. I am. By far. I'm, I'm biased, but I uh, I very much so <laughs> think so. Um, Want to know who else is actually super awesome? Who? Our patrons. They are. <laughs> we got a few to thank today, don't we? We do, actually. Uh, so we have these people signed up for Patreon this past week and are absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for supporting us over there. The people who signed up, and we got to give a good old shout out to, are Holly Gunvaldson. Hopefully I said your last name right. Um, Mallory Cumberland, Shelby Strunk, Lindsay Gott, and Brittany Brown. Right on. Thank you so much for your support. You're absolutely incredible. Even if you guys don't support us on Patreon, you just want to listen here. We still appreciate that. You are still incredible. Thank you so much. We just think everyone's incredible around here. Don't Pretty we? much. Don't we? Yeah. Even the doggos. Look at look at Ripley. She's curled up like in a little ball right now. She sleeps. Well, actually, anything that dog does is cute as hell. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Okay. While I was just finishing up the research for this case, she just walked oh. over and she just set her chin on my knee and just looked up at me and stared. Which you think is adorable, but I literally, that happens to me probably five times a day because I majority, like I mostly work from home. Yeah. And so that happens all the time that it's almost like, yeah, but yes, Ripley. <laughs> my day job, like 
I'm at work for like 10 hours plus drive. So I'm not home for like 12 hours a day. So your heart is friggin' melted to the ground, eh? Yeah, pretty much. Um, but also back to our patrons, we also have someone we got to give a big old congrats to. An extra thank you to. Do, do you want to do this this big old extra congrats, shout out, thank you, whatever to? Well, the thank you is in regards to we had a little contest over there, right? Our we short, did. We had a short story. We did chat about this on the podcast already, I think. We did. We hinted at it, but we didn't want to give too much detail about it. But yeah, you had to basically, we had a couple submissions. It was amazing. And you had to um, write a short, creepy story, basically, right? And it yeah. had to be under 500 words. Exactly. So it was a bit of a challenge. Like, that's a challenge. Yeah. So we put out this contest, you know, do your own creepy pasta. If you don't know what creepy pasta is, it's a web form where writers go and post their writings of creepy stories, fictional stories that they make up or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we had a few submissions, awesome stories that people wrote over on our Patreon. Um, we have incredible writers over there, apparently. I know. Blew I my like, mind. Wow. <laughs> um, and a big old congrats to Sarah Granby Sarah who won Granby. that. Yeah. yeah. So her story was incredible. It was entitled Not Me. Yeah, and it was really well done. It was really, really well done. So what did she win? Um, so we got to, we have that exclusive merch that basically you can only get by winning something. Yeah. One of our contests or giveaways. So she got a t-shirt and then she got her story read by Jacko. Which is epic. So epic. So we posted that story recorded by Jacko over on Patreon. If you want to go give that a listen and you're on Patreon, you can go uh, check it out right now if you'd like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and speaking of Jacko, actually, um, he's going to be making a return this Halloween week, mm -hmm. which is basically a month away at this point. We get asked, actually. Oh, yeah. That is a hot, a hot question. Is Jacko coming back for Halloween week? <laughs> yes. So Jacko is 100% making his return. He will be our MC for every episode. Ah. He might be involved a little bit more. We'll have to stay tuned to find out. Okay, that literally makes me so freaking excited. <laughs> Why is that? I don't know. Because it's just like last. Okay, I've never super been like a huge Halloween person. Like I, I thought it was it was cool and it's okay. And like you love it. So that's nice. But then last year, I just like really loved Halloween. I don't know. It's it, this podcast made me love it even more. It was fun. It was really least. fun. Yeah. Um, and your guys' engagement actually last Halloween made it really fun for us too. Not just the work and fun we were having putting it out there, but the reactions and engagement we were getting was incredible. So looking forward to that again too. Yeah. And um, we're doing another photo shoot too for Halloween. We are. Which is very exciting. It's a different theme, of course, but. Yeah. And we're planning to do a a Halloween live mm -hmm. as well. That'll probably happen on over Instagram. Do we think we haven't really planned that out just yet? Probably, the details though. aren't for sure. I think so. Um, but there is going to be a live happening at some point for Halloween and we're dropping new merch. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a few new Halloween centric designs, maybe um, just cool new designs in general. Um, but the Halloween centric design may or may not include Jacko himself. And it's all drawn by you in case people don't know. It is. I'm is the very artist. cool. Um, but a really cool thing about the Jacko um, merch that's going to be released. This is technically the only piece of Jacko merch that is available or has been available to the public. Mm -hmm. Because we had one piece that was only available for one week. For patrons. When we first opened up our Patreon. Yeah. So, and that design is never coming out again. No, never. No. So those people with that design are like, 
they're like they got some special never shit. say never never say never well, one day like the vault might just have to open or something if right? the vault opens and that piece is released <laughs> again it cannot be the same maybe no. maybe a color palette change or something yeah that's true that's very true yeah but yeah. it will not be the same you mm-hmm. know what i mean there will be something to define it to be different whether it changes slightly in one way or another yeah well, we're going to be chatting a lot about Halloween week and getting everyone excited because it's going to be freaking awesome. Last year was awesome and like it's going to be just as awesome, if not more. Oh, it'll be more awesome. Every year will just be more awesome. Of course. <laughs> but do you want to know what's not awesome? The person we're talking about today? The person we're talking about today, Richard Speck. Yeah, I gathered that from uh, the the intro there. Yeah, he's not a cool being. Um, and to give you guys a bit of a heads up, this is part one. Mm. of a two-part episode regarding Richard Speck. Um, I did not realize how involved um, this case is until I was researching. I knew it was a big case, but his background is very, very thorough. There's a lot of information on him. I'm not a huge fan of covering uh, the history of a perpetrator, a murderer, someone like that. Generally, we try and make it um, more about the victims when at all possible. Right. So this first episode is going to be more centered around him and his upbringing and where, how he got to what he does. Mm -hmm. The second episode, we're going to try and revolve that a little bit more around his victims. Yeah. And sometimes that happens. I don't know. These people, there's a lot of information out there and it's interesting too sometimes to figure out how they got to where they are so there are cases like that that are more heavy on the friggin definitely asshole definitely and that's what this is going to be it's a lot of um figuring out how he got to become who he became Mm -hmm. um so without further ado let's dive into this and i should say actually i have i've never heard of this no which i don't know if that's weird but i definitely haven't i've heard of the name but that was about the extent of it and then i ran across what he did. And I was like, shit. Shit. Okay. So yeah. Okay. Let's go. Okay. Let's dive into this. Richard Benjamin Speck was born in Kirkwood, Illinois in 1941. He was a young boy who had several siblings. His parents, Benjamin Franklin Speck and Mary Margaret um, Carbo had a total of eight children. In fact, Oh, wow. Five daughters and three sons, with Richard being one of them. Now, after Richard was born, the family would move into Monmouth, Illinois, a small town that was established in 1831, a small-sized town of 4.26 square miles. Wow, that's very small. It's tiny. Now, Richard's parents were both very religious, and they were both teetotalers, teetotalers. I'm not sure how you say it exactly. It's a word that I specifically had to look up for this podcast. Okay, because, yeah, I don't know what that is. Yeah, it's a person who participates in abstinence from psychoactive drug ethanol, which is commonly referred to as alcohol. Oh, okay. Okay. So they specifically um, practice abstinence of alcohol. So they don't have any drinks. Correct. Beverages of alcohol. Yes. And this is also extended to strict rules against smoking. Okay. Now, this was so extreme to the fact, actually, particularly with uh, his mother, that uh, Richard's father, Benjamin, would endure an extremely angry wife after having a single beer one night at a fish fry. Really? Yes. Just one beer. One beer. 
and he was getting scolded extremely by her, apparently. Yikes. So his parents were both very hardworking, and they did their best to put food on the table and pay the mortgage of their modest family home. Now, Richard's father worked several different jobs, picking up extra hours when he could, and he did what he needed for his family. He worked as a packer, a roofer, a farmhand, and a logger. Wow, I thought I was busy. Yeah, he definitely did what he could. I mean, bouncing around from job to job, he did multiple things, but doing what he could to provide. Now, the family, though rather large, seemed to be very tight-knit and did well as a wholesome unit. Now, when Richard was old enough, his father would actually frequently take him out to go fishing at a nearby lake for bluegill fish. It was something that they began to kind of share together, and it gave an opportunity for them to build a relationship between each other as father and son. Mm-hmm. It's something Richard considered extremely special, and he held it very close to him. And, you know, it made him feel even closer specifically with his father. And sorry, can I just ask a little question here? Of course. Richard, is he the oldest of the boys? Do you know? No, he's the second youngest child. After Richard, it was his sister, I want to say Carolyn or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so she al- was almost a baby. Yes. Um, that I'm going to point this out. There is some information like that that I have omitted because this is a very, very, very large history that they have documented with this guy's background. Right. And I was just curious. It yeah. wasn't super important. So I'll, if you have questions, feel free to ask. I'll answer what I can. Um, but I have omitted some of the information because okay. it's just so extreme. A lot of information that's kind of mundane. Totally redundant. fair. Um, but any any case, Richard had a great relationship with his father and they became very, very close and held these special moments. That is until 1947. Now, by this time, Richard was six years old, and unfortunately, sometimes things can unravel and unwind, and all it takes is for a single thread to be lost and a whole thing can come undone. And that's exactly what happened when his father died from an unexpected (gasps) heart attack at the age of 53. No, I was not expecting that. I was like, okay, what happened? Ooh, that's sad. That's very, very, very sad. Yeah, Richard took the loss of his dad very hard. Dang. Yeah. So without his father, he actually began to act out in school in very odd ways. Now, his elementary school um, co-students or whatever the word you want to say. Um, peers. Peers. That's that's a way better word than co-students. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, noticed that he would actually frequently begin to like whine and almost act like a baby. Um, he would whine often. He'd even eat crayons. And hey, that's so sad that that's so young to be losing a parent. It is. Dang. Uh, his teacher would actually almost have to coddle him and treat him like a baby. E- and one classmate actually once even saw the teacher letting him sit on her lap just because she didn't know what else to do with him. He's acting like such a baby. Yeah. Well, and she also probably felt so freaking bad. Yeah. It's hard. But to yeah, say. that's that's yeah, that's that's very difficult. Yeah. But it, I mean, it may not have been the lack of father figure, though, too. Because he didn't receive much attention from his grief-stricken mother either. Well, I mean, she was dealing with a lot. Oh, yeah. Rightfully so. Yeah. I mean, Look at how many friggin' children she had. Yeah. She was also, like, affected completely. She just lost her spouse. I mean, though it's no excuse to, like, ignore a child. No. um, But without her husband or parenting partner, she's now a single mother of eight. And that would be extremely difficult. She was probably very overwhelmed. And then the stress of also being like, well, how am I going to? 
keep all these children alive by myself. hundred percent. And like, I have the utmost respect for any single parent, let alone someone who is the sole provider and caregiver for eight human beings. Mm -hmm. So, and also on the other hand, perhaps it wasn't that she wasn't giving Richard attention, but maybe it was that she was spread a bit thin and she couldn't give Richard enough attention or the attention he demanded. Right. So that's a very big possibility too. Yes. Regardless though, she would eventually seek out another partner in crime, someone to confide in, right? Share a life with and help, you know, fulfill the role of a father figure to her children. Uh, okay. Is this guy a good guy? Well, you'll find out here in a second. She would find what she was looking for during a train ride to Chicago. And three years after the death of her husband, she would marry a man on May 10th, 1950 by the name of Carl August Rudolph Lindenberg in Palo, Texas. Sorry, Palo Pinto, Texas. That's quite the name. Yeah. So Carl Lindenberg is what he often went by. Um, we're just going to call him Carl. Okay. Not cool Carl. Is he a not cool Carl? He's a not cool Carl. Oh my gosh, these Carls. I know, right? Um, so now Carl was a far stone's throw from the man she was previously married to. He was a traveling insurance salesman from Texas. Uh, who had a large 25-year criminal history. Uh, now, this history or record would range from forgery to multiple DUIs, which leads me to mention that Carl was a very heavy drinker. Oh, yeah, and she wasn't for that, was she? So she what wasn't. the heck? So she clearly um, let something slip. Maybe it was in her expectations of a partner, or maybe she's desperate to have someone else with her, but she let something slide um, regarding what her... Uh, I can't think of words today. Um, expectations are of someone, I guess. Well, she should have spent a little tiny bit longer looking. She probably could have found someone better. Maybe. That met her. Because that's a that's a big one. Like she was so against alcohol. She was very This guy is yes. pretty much an alcoholic. And like that's something. Oh, no. Like, this guy is an alcoholic. Okay. He's an alcoholic. And we're going to let that slide. Yeah. So I don't know. Anyways. Now, while the couple were in Texas, they were getting married. Richard had actually stayed with his older sister who had recently married herself. Now, he had stayed there back in their home uh, for a few months to finish the second grade in school before he moved over to Texas with his mom and his new stepdad in Santo, Texas. Now, Richard didn't enjoy his new father figure too much. In fact, many articles I read described him as hating or loathing him. Mm. The family dynamic he once knew with his biological dad quite literally crumbled, right? And now he was left with something completely different and he resented his mother for it as well. Dang. I mean, it sounds like this person did have, like this new father figure person had like pretty big shoes to fill. Oh, definitely. But, but also, I don't think he even attempted to fill those shoes in any shape or form, really. No shits given, eh? Not really. Uh, in 1951, the family would move to East Dallas. Now, this would start a string of moves to the family where they would go from place to place and home from home. The family would actually go to 10 different addresses, usually Whoa. in underprivileged neighborhoods over the course of the next 12 years. Oh, shit. So essentially moving to a new home every year. Which is very hard for like kids who are growing up. Well, I mean, that's very hard for anyone, anyone. let alone kids growing up. Yeah. 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 You don't have a stable home. You can't make friends very easily. You're bouncing back and forth. Now, to be fair, I don't know how many of those are different neighborhoods. Maybe he's still going to the same school in some of those moves. Mm -hmm. So I'm not too sure. 
Um, now, but in that time during 1952, Richard would actually suffer another family loss when his eldest brother, Robert, would pass away as a result of a car accident. Dang. Uh, and Robert was only 23 years old when he passed. Wow. Yeah. So he's going through a lot. That's right? a lot. A lot of big impacts on this little boy's At life. At a very young age, yes. Yeah. So Richard's life by this time was very much so extremely different than it had started out. Now, if the path had stayed true with when he was younger, before his father passed away, who knows where he would have ended up. But he was on a different path now. And taking after his new father figure, um, he began drinking at the age of 12. Oh. And by the age of 15, Richard could have been considered, and in fact was considered, an alcoholic. And he drank consistently and was drunk almost every day. Uh. 15 At years old. 15, yes. That's very, very sad. Can you imagine being, I mean, well, fair enough. I wouldn't have been able to handle my alcohol at 15, so it would have been very easy to get drunk well, at 15. Well, you build your tolerance like it sounds. Yeah, you know? of course. But could you imagine getting drunk every day at 15? Like, what the fuck? Like, first of all, how can you, like, where are you getting that money oh, from? Oh, yeah, where are you <laughs> getting the booze? I never even thought of that. Uh, I will touch on that a little bit here later oh, on, okay. where he's getting at least some of the booze. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's it's absurd to even think how could a 15 year old, um, I, I, like I know this is a prevalent thing, like it happens to a lot of people in society, unfortunately. Yeah. But I, I just can't imagine being in that situation. It, it's tragic, is what I'm getting to, basically. Yeah. No, that's that's a great way to describe it. Yeah. So. In that time frame, he had also began his negative behaviors in other aspects. His first arrest was actually only at the age of 13 in 1955. Now, it wasn't anything terrible, mind you. I mean, illegal is illegal and an arrest is an arrest. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but it was for trespassing. Not cool for sure. But depending on the situation exactly, because okay. I'm not too sure of the situation. It could have been a lot worse. Yeah, there, there's a lot worse he could have done. And depending on what he was trespassing on, was it just like some farmer's field? Was it an abandoned building or was he breaking into someone's house? You know, there's there's a difference. Um, so, however, it would only escalate from there. Now, where he would be arrested for several other misdemeanors over the next eight years. Now, it seems that Richard was taking after his new stepdad, Carl. Um, but even if that is the case, it didn't lead him to having a good relationship in any aspect, basically. So, okay. This is freaking devastating because I feel like if his dad had not died, that this story probably would not exist. That's a very big possibility. I just, I don't know. I just don't think he probably would still be like fishing with his dad and just yeah. like, oh my God, but, my heart. I just can't. But such is life. Everyone loses someone eventually, some earlier than others. Yeah. Everyone goes through something eventually. It's not an excuse, basically. It's not an excuse. Yeah, it's not. I am I understand shit happens, shit hurts, but that doesn't mean you have to become toxic. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, everyone deals with things in different ways, and that's that's okay. But for what he does later on in life, it's still not an excuse. No, no. Um, where am I here now? Okay. I got it. So Richard hated Carl. Like their relationship was terrible and Carl hated Richard. Uh, and he actually even wanted to kick Richard out of the house because he couldn't stand the sight of him. And uh. he told Richard quote, that he was a gutter rat. 
cool. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So Richard fought back in spite of his stepdad and he would, and this is where we know where he gets at least some of his alcohol. He would break into his liquor cabinet and have his fill on his stepdad's dime. <laughs> and he'd do this when no one was watching as means of revenge. I mean, it's as best as a young teen can do to fight back. Right. So he'd yeah. drink and then disappear out of the house. Hmm. And it, and the family didn't have a ton of money either, did they? No, definitely not. Yeah. So Richard's struggles would follow him seemingly wherever he would go. Not necessarily due to circumstances either. Uh, he hung out with the wrong crowd. Uh, he began smoking the devil's lettuce um, and taking undisclosed pills. Uh, he also carried around a switchblade knife on him wherever he went and used it to do break-ins. So it's not like he's necessarily being influenced or coerced into these things. Did you hear the way I said coerced? Coerced. Yeah. It was a very emphasis. But I feel like you say it like that sometimes. So I didn't really react. Do I really? I feel like so. Yeah. That didn't seem abnormal. Oh, (laughs) gross. That's like saying cool whip. Oh my God. Don't do it. Okay. Well, I'll point it out to you next time. then. Please do. I need to stop that. (laughs) That's how I say it. Um, okay, back to the case. Uh, I think it's safe to assume that no one would be surprised uh, if I say he didn't do well in school either, though. No, that would make sense. Yeah. At one point, um, his vision began to actually decline and he needed to have glasses, but he refused to wear the glasses, apparently in fear of people staring at him and building up too much anxiety. That they would stare more at him because he was wearing glasses. Yes. He didn't like the idea of wearing glasses because people would look at him. Oh, okay. yeah. Which, I mean, that, that's totally sad to hear that, right? It is. But maybe back in the, in the day, like, I mean, this is a little bit back in the day, not super, but maybe people weren't like, not everyone wore, really wore glasses. Yeah. It wasn't, I don't know. It wasn't a, a major thing or anything like that. Glasses mm-hmm. back. I mean, glasses were glasses, 100%, but it wasn't as prominent. Um, now, as his class did progress, he just fell behind and refused to speak up in class when he asked. He just fell behind, fell behind. He just didn't want to speak up again because of that anxiety. Uh, He had to repeat the eighth grade. And in 1957, he was in grade nine and high school and he failed every single subject and he did not return for the second semester. He officially dropped out of school in January of 1958 after his 16th birthday. In grade nine. In grade nine. Now, I I do want to preface this, just like we were kind of talking about the glasses thing. Ninth grade education in 1950s was still rather educated. It's a significant, like like a significant amount of people didn't graduate high school in those days. Mm -hmm. It's not abnormal for people to drop out and pursue work and other endeavors. You know, look after family. family, Exactly. Yeah. So ninth grade was rather normal as far as I'm aware. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I know um, several people. quote unquote boomers in that era. Um, I don't mean to knock people by saying boomers by any means, but like that, that generation, you know, I know like my dad, I believe he's either 10th grade or 11th grade. I'm not sure, but he didn't graduate and he's a welder fabricator and he went on to have a great career. Yeah. And he has lots of friends that had the same sort of thing. My mom has friends that didn't graduate high school. Like it's a normal thing for that generation. It absolutely was. Yes. So ninth grade, that's not necessarily bad. But he seemed like he kind of stopped because he was like, I have his anxiety and failing everything. And it wasn't yes. necessarily because he had other commitments that he had to meet. Correct. So Correct. his, I feel like his circumstance isn't really 
great for lack of better words, I guess. hundred percent. You're right. It, he didn't have the same circumstances other, or he didn't, his circumstances were different than most for not finishing high school. Right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so after he did fall out of high school, though, Richard's extracurriculars only escalated into the worse. Uh, his criminal record expanded and he began experimenting with sex workers, uh, which led him to develop an unfortunate opinion and view. Uh, women in his eyes were either pure or, I, I, for lack of a better word, I guess, tainted. Like, like one or the other? Yeah. Thing? It's either like you're good or you're shit. Okay. Like there's no in between for him. Okay. And I do want to talk about this for a a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Minute. And I want to talk about how unfortunately common it seems to be in the true crime world. Male serial killers, like, developing the ideology that promiscuous women are trash and for a lack of better word, like from their point of view, not that I agree with this word or definition or anything at all, but for what they view the word whore, like they're viewing these women as, as such. Um, some people seem to get the idea that if someone doesn't fit their idea of pure, righteous, wholesome or whatever, then they deserve to die in their eyes which is just disgusting it is so there's like two boxes really yeah and only and two that, and that but there's ridiculous amounts of in between yeah and they feel they have the right to put people in those boxes judge. as they see fit yeah that they can make that judgment call yeah and i do have a theory here i don't think it has anything to do with actually being good bad pure tainted or however you want to word it i think that it's Someone finds themselves in a situation where they can take advantage of someone, which means they have some sort of power over the other. Now, when they are in this scenario, they like the power and they, of course, they want more. Mm -hmm. So they decide in that moment that I'm better than this person and act out in whatever fantasy they wish and simply as a power hungry move. I think it has nothing to do with sex. I think it has nothing to do with the individuals or anything. I think it simply has to do with the individual can gain power over said type of people easily, and they're going to create a logical reason to continue to seek out that power. So these people in the one box that they have judged are all people that they feel like they can overpower, that they're better yes. in their mind. Well, if you take a look at sex workers, they put themselves in a like a very vulnerable position. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the individual who hires a sex worker pays the person to be vulnerable. So they're paying them to let me have all the power over you. Yeah. Simple as that. And they like that. And they say, okay, now that I have the power, I'm better than you. Yeah. And oh. I just like this. All of that is just like disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. But I think that's what's going on with these people when they, get in these situations and why sex workers are generally targeted. Well, then it's just like putting fuel to the fire, really. Oh, definitely. And the more, the more encounters and stuff that they have like that, it just like, it's going to make them worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Now there are other things at play, like definitely like some sex workers may, um, 
be living a life where they're a little bit more um, vagrant and they're not going to be understood if they're actually missing as soon as someone else or deemed um, what's the, what's the best best way to put this Uh, deemed important to search for by uh, police officers or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? There's other things at play. I think this is just the psychological aspect. Mm -hmm. So either way, it's a whole fucked up situation. Yes, very much so. So, uh, anyways, back to this though. Richard had a large history of work, which honestly is rather well documented, but I'm not going into a lot of detail about it because in all honesty, we could literally do a whole episode probably just on his just resume. Just on his work? Yes. Really, hey? Um, so which I'm, isn't necessarily surprising, actually. He hopped job to job to job to job to job um, quite a bit. And so I don't really want to do that, cover a whole episode on his whole freaking resume because mostly just useless information and I can sum it up relatively easy. Yeah, um, that's that's fine with me. <laughs> yeah. So I'm basically going to try and cover the more important stuff. So from 1960 to 1963, uh, he would work as a laborer for the 7-Up seven, seven Bottling Company in Dallas. Oh, wow. Then in October 1961, he would meet a young 15-year-old girl while he was working there. Um, sorry, not while he was working there, while he's employed there at the time. Outside of work. Yes. Outside of work. I worded that weird. Sorry. (laughs) So he's employed by at this company doing this thing and he goes out to the Texas state fair and he meets Shirley Annette Malone. Now Shirley is a 15 year old girl. And by this time, Richard was 20 years old. Okay, because I was like, okay, how old is he? Yeah. So he's 20. And now picture this. Richard had slicked back slicked back blonde hair with a deeply pitted face from like kind of acne scars. Uh, He drank, he smoked, and he had a tattoo on his forearm that read born to raise hell. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That actually really fits the whole visual there. (laughs) I know, right? Like I I almost picture, I can't remember the guy's name, but one of the guys from Greece. Okay. I pictured a greaser too. There's there's one specific character from Greece. I can't remember his name, um, but I believe he's the guy who was, he was the dick who, who was dancing um, in the dance contest and he uh, stole Sandy from Danny oh, or something okay. like that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I can't remember his name either. Oh, someone will but let us know. <laughs> that's the guy I'm picturing. Um, anyways, though, I do think this tattoo was actually a reference to both his own birthday and his lifestyle that he led. Now, clearly born to raise hell. Like he, he thinks he's cool. It's a statement about his life, right? But I do think there's a little bit of something else with his birthday in there too. Now, the day after his birthday, you see, was the infamous attack on Pearl Harbor during World War II. Uh, So there was a direct quote from Richard in response to the question, when were you born? And this quote in the documentary says, day I was born, all hell broke loose the next day. Hasn't stopped since. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So as kind of like surface level, like skeezy the tattoo sounds, I think there's a lot more depth to that tattoo, which not that I respect it. I do think it's kind of cool that it's a little bit more personalized in that way. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you explained that, but also he's a dick. Oh yeah. He definitely is. We've hardly even scratched the surface. I know. And I already really, I just like, yeah, I don't, I don't like, I don't like him. Yeah. Well, this wannabe greaser, um, he managed to swoon this 15 year old Shirley. The two began dating shortly after they met, and only three weeks after they began dating, Shirley got pregnant. Holy, okay. Yeah. 
Wow. Like she's 15. She's 15. And now with a child on the way, the two did the right thing and decided to stay together. And so doing in doing so, they got married on January 19th in 1962. Now, I do want to say this. There's many ways to raise a child. It's not that you have to be together. You have to be married. I was worried about writing the sentence multiple times. I'm like, how can I word this best way? Um, as long as you're together for the kid, mm -hmm. right? That was their uh, intent. So that's why they got married. Okay. Now, Richard may have done the right thing to stay together for um, raising the child and standing by um, Shirley's side. That didn't mean he continued to do the right thing going forward. Well, yeah, now this is almost more cringe, this story, the fact that he's a father. Oh. Well, his daughter, Robbie Lynn Speck, would be born July 5th in 1962. But he wouldn't be around for his wife or daughter as he was in jail serving a 22-day sentence for disturbing the peace during a drunken fight. Okay, so he wasn't even there for the birth. He wasn't. Right off the bat. And the couple's relationship would get extremely rocky in their future. Now, Richard would even, well, he would, he would earn a living and he would do so, you know, intent to, Hey, you know, bring home the paycheck. Right. Yeah. But he wouldn't even bring the paycheck home. He would go out, use it, blow on drugs, alcohol, and sex workers. Okay. Yeah. Real winner right here. And during this time, his whole point of view on women, you know, whether being pure or not, uh, would continue. And he actually began to develop these ideas for his wife. And he thought, oh my gosh, he started to picture her and think that she was actually having affairs, which led to him thinking, you know, that she is, you know, not pure, or whatever the hell you want to say. So we'll skip all those derogatory terms. But beneath what he thought, she swore she wasn't being unfaithful. She swore that she was faithful, faithful to only him, but he wouldn't believe her. Okay. He doesn't do anything, does he? Well, he, he, he does a lot, but we're going to get to on her. No, no. Okay. Cause I was like, that's the mom of his kid. Well, he, he does. Well, he, he does. And he doesn't, we're going to touch on this. Okay. okay, okay. I don't want to. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, jump, I'm jumping ahead here. Um, what he would act, what he would do, uh, he would blow his money on sex workers and drive by their house, park outside and begin lewd acts. So his <gasps> wife could see, and then he would speed off into the night. What the actual shit? Yes. You serious? That's serious. That is one of the most fucked up things I've ever heard. Yeah. Okay. So the relationship got worse where he did begin to do um, brutal things to her. This person is a nasty motherfucker. Oh, he is. He's a douche canoe and a half. Okay. She was eventually living with a monster. Over the years, she began to live in fear of him and what he was capable capable of. She claims it got to the point where she was terrified for her life as he would rape her at knife point multiple times a day, up to wow. five times a day. Wow, 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 wow. Yes. I hate this. Yes. Now, by the age of 24, uh, this is jumping ahead a little bit here. And we're going to kind of fill in the gaps. But by the age of 24, Richard would be arrested a total of 41 times. Well, my gosh, they need to keep him in jail. This person needs to stay in jail. Yes. What the frig? Now, Richard's probation officer once stated when he's drinking, he will fight or threaten anybody as long as he has a knife or a gun. When he's sober or unarmed, he couldn't face down a mouse. Huh. 
So, I mean, you like alcohol does bring down a lot of bear or like barriers. Would that be the right word? It makes a lot of people think they can do a lot of shit. It does. Yeah. But I mean, also, they say sometimes it's your true self. Yeah. So I don't I, know. I like to put it in the way of like hold my beer complex. Like, you know, like oh, I can okay. do that. Hold my beer. Yeah. Whether it's I can win this fight or, hey, you know, I can do a 360 jump back flip off a swing set whatever the case hold my beer you know it gives you that confidence yeah um so yeah that's clearly what it did to richard it's not an uncommon way to describe him at all a coward gutless whether when he had a weapon you know he had power so some of his criminal history would include um, on July of 1963, at the age of 21, he was sentenced to serve three-year term in prison after being convicted of uh, forging and cashing a co-worker's $44 paycheck and then robbing a grocery store for cigarettes, beer, and $3 in cash. Oh, my gosh. He would only serve 16 months, but his freedom only lasted a week after he was out because he was arrested again oh. on January of 9th, 1965, when he attacked a woman in a parking lot of her apartment building. He wielded a 17-inch carving knife. Holy. Yeah. What? However, even though she was at knife point, uh, she managed to scream enough that he ran away. Um, police showed up quickly enough and they were able to track him down via her description only a few blocks away. Okay, and see, it's probably it's going to just be getting worse here, but I freaking hate stories like this yeah. where the person, if like he just was kept in jail. Yeah. Like so much would just be prevented. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, You're right. You're 100% I, right. I That's just, how yeah. this story goes. Like, I know. I know where it's going. Like this is not good. Yeah. So from this, he was convicted of aggravated assault and he was sentenced to 16 months. That's However, nice. due to an error, he was released in just six months later upon completing his parole violence sent violation sentence from the other one. Wow. Um, because they were supposed to apparently compile on each other, but it only ended up that he served the remainder of his parole basically. <laughs> yeah. So that's cool. Not. No. Um, but then he would work for three months as a driver for the Patterson Meat Company, where he had multiple accidents with their work truck, and he would be fired for not showing up for work one day. Well, <laughs> I'm sure that was the last straw. <laughs> I I can't believe not showing up for work is what got him fired, though. I think like multiple accidents in the work vehicle. That was probably just, just say, the last straw. Yeah. As the safety guy, I don't know. That's that's something that uh, I, I wouldn't be able to look past. Just saying. Um, in January of 1966, Richard's wife would eventually file for divorce and she would get full custody of their yes. daughter. Yes. Oh, girl. Yeah. By this time, they were separated for a few months, um, but she had filed for divorce um, officially, which is great. Uh, he had the month prior to their divorce moved in with a 29-year-old ex-professional wrestler. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she was a bartender at his favorite bar, Ginny's Lounge. Uh, he found work babysitting her three kids for a while. Okay, that should not be anything that he does for work. Uh, you say like he shouldn't be around kids, basically? Yeah, like he should not be a babysitter. Yeah, probably not. Um, not long after this, Richard would stab a man oh. in a knife fight at Jimmy Ginny's lounge. Uh, he was charged with, again, aggravated assault. But a defense attorney hired by his mother got the charge reduced to disturbing the peace. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, now, Richard's mother being involved began 
to uh, become a theme. She was often bailing him out of jail or hiring attorneys as needed, basically coming to his defense. Um, you know, like his beck and call damn near. Which I'm almost a little bit surprised, but I mean, grant you that is her son. Yeah. I mean, like they once had this broken relationship, you know, between the two of them, like when Richard was young. Mm-hmm. It's now become patched and back to what it was prior to sort of thing. Well, and it's because he he's the, a kid that needs the attention. Exactly. Yeah. And with Richard's point of view on women, you're either good or you're not. He had this idea idea that his mother was like a damn near saint, right? Because before she wasn't and now she's they fixed it and she is good again in his books. Hmm. So with his mom in his corner, now bailing him out whenever he needed, he just walked away and committed crime after crime after crime. Just wow. simply committing to commit. Continuing to commit or committing to commit, I guess, actually, that works too. slipping through the cracks as he went. Yeah. On March 5th of 1966, he robbed a grocery store stealing 70 cartons of cigarettes, which then he proceeded to sell out of the trunk of his car in that grocery store's parking lot. Like I almost, I, I, I just, yeah, I'm just not going to say anything because I have to hold back my laughter. That's ridiculous. That's, it is, honestly. Um, the police would actually trace his abandoned car and set out uh, a warrant for his arrest, but he skipped town before they could get to him. This would have been his 42nd arrest if it was made. Wow. Yeah. So instead of going to jail again, though, he would make his way to his childhood home in Monmouth, Illinois. On April 2nd, Richard would be caught red-handed as he was robbing a home of a 65-year-old woman named Miss Virgil Harris. It was 1 a.m., and she was just returning home from a babysitting job when she found Richard inside her home. Jeez. There stood this six-foot-tall, greasy, douche-canoe motherfucker with a knife in his hand. So, apparently, he gently and politely tied her up with uh, shreds of her housecoat as he cut from the fabric, and he assured her that he wasn't going to hurt her All she needed to do was comply with his demands. Then he raped her, ransacked her house, and stole the $2.50 that she made babysitting that evening before leaving and going off into the night. Seriously, hey? Yes. Holy shit. This guy is fucking disgusting. Oh, he is. The woman would later describe her attacker as this six-foot-tall white male who was very polite and spoke very softly with a southern drawl. Now, this description didn't fit many people in the Illinois area and immediately put Richard under suspicion with his southern draw. Police spoke with him briefly, but before they were able to really, you know, make anything happen, he skipped town. Mm. I knew that was coming. Yeah. A week later, Mary Kathleen Pierce, a 32-year-old barmaid, was last seen leaving a bar that she worked at at around 12.20 a.m. on April 9th. On April 13th, she was officially reported missing when her, and then later that day, her body was found behind the bar she worked at. She had died from a severe blow to her stomach, which had ruptured her liver. Oh, wow. Now, police knew Richard frequented the bar and they showed up to question him where he was staying. He was once again already gone. 
A search of his hotel room that he was staying at, the police found a radio and costume jewelry that the 65-year-old Miss Virgin Harris had reported missing from her house, as well as items reported missing in a few other local burglaries in the previous month. So do they know, do we know that he killed that woman? Or it's just like speculation? It's... I don't think it's confirmed, but it's it, it's, it's like basically yeah. He did. He he pretty much did. Yeah. Okay. Well, like I'm sorry, but just skipping town shouldn't be getting you a shouldn't like make you be able to get away with the shit, should it? Well, the to this degree, it wouldn't nowadays. No, but nowadays it's a lot easier to get information out there. It's a lot oh, harder to hide. You know what I mean? That's true, but I'm getting pissed. Yeah. Now, where, where did I leave off here? Okay. Um, right. Okay. So April 19th of 1966, Richard went to stay with his sister, Martha, and her family. He told them when he arrived that the mafia was after him uh. because they were trying to wrangle him into selling narcotics, and he refused. <laughs> yeah. he's a saint. Exactly. Which now meant they were after him. So he's, he's you know, turning over a leaf. He's a good guy. Um, so, you know what? helping out her brother and this sort of stuff. So he stayed there with her. Uh, now through his brother-in-law, Richard found work on board a freight ship, but it didn't last too long. Of course, just like everything else. Mm -hmm. His first time out at sea, he was actually found on the ship, buckled over in pain, holding his stomach. He was immediately taken by the U S coast guard via helicopter to St. Joseph hospital in Hancock, Michigan, and was diagnosed with appendicitis. According to the doctor, another hour or so, and it probably would have ruptured and he wouldn't have made it. No comment. Fair enough. After an, <laughs> the emergency surgery, he recovered and returned to work. But just like most things, like I said, it didn't last too long. He would get himself into trouble on several occasions. You know, getting drunk, taking pills and fighting on board ship, that sort of stuff. Uh, he would even expose himself to crew members. And on two occasions... Or sorry, on one occasion, he actually fell overboard. Uh, but he would ultimately get ultimately get let go when he pulled a knife on one of his superiors, the ship, one of the ship's officers. That would probably do it. Probably. Okay, but there's two incidents: his freaking appendicitis and falling overboard. God, does this person like? How does he have any sort of, I don't know, luck? Like, how is he surviving? He's it? he's clearly got luck on his side. That's for sure. He shouldn't. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, not to say that anyone deserves death. That's not where I'm going to go with That's this. That's not what I'm saying either, but I mean. I know what you're saying. It's if this individual didn't have luck on his side, it could have saved other li others' lives. Mm -hmm. That's where we're ultimately getting. Not that anyone deserves to die. That's it. That's all that I want to say about that. Now, regarding his loss of job on this ship, though, his union officer actually told Richard that he was willing and confident that he could get Richard his job back. But Richard declined, telling him that he just didn't understand. How on earth would he have thought he could get his job back? But okay. Damn good union officer, I guess. Um, but Richard declined. You know what he's saying? You don't understand. You don't understand. And assumably, uh, Richard knew that like the union arbitration or whatever would potentially dig up too much of his past history. You know, his 41 arrests, his oh. open warrants in other states. Something you didn't want an employer or anyone else to know about. So. So he was being smart there, really. Yeah. So he was without a job. And luckily for him, he actually befriended a, a nurse while he was in the hospital. 
uh, with his appendicitis. Now, this was Judy Lakamanini. I think I said that name right. Really hope I did. A 28-year-old nurse aide. Now, Richard was apparently extremely kind to her and would take her out for nice dinners during their time together. Now, perhaps this was the only time in life where he was a rather decent human being because she swears up and down he was a great guy. Wow. So on June 27th, Judy would actually give Richard $80 now that he's out of work to help out while he continued to look for another job. But it didn't really help as it just gave him a crutch and a reason to not find work for the next two weeks. Because he had money to be buying booze and stuff. He had money to bum around. Yeah. 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 Richard was staying with his sister still and was just being a lump on the couch, drinking and reading comic books. But by July 11th, he had overstayed his welcome. His bags were packed and he was on his way out the door. His brother-in-law drove him to the NMU hiring hall to find work. There he found a room and stayed the night about a mile away. In the morning, he headed over to see what he could find for work. By noon, he was assigned on board another ship. So he headed to his new job that was just about 30 minutes away. But when he arrived, things had changed. His job had actually already been filled and he was again left without work. Hmm. That, that is shitty. It is. And needless to say, Richard was pissed. I'd be pissed yeah. if I showed up for a job and I didn't actually have it. But it's freaking shocking. I mean, background checks and shit, not a thing then, eh? Not so much, no. <laughs> I, I mean, back in those days, it's like, do you have a pair of work boots? Great, get well, to work. And we're getting to that a little bit again. Yeah, pretty, like, pretty much. A lot much. of people are really um, uh, not able to find employees and stuff anymore. Yeah, it's it's a weird time, actually. It is, it is. yeah. Um, but needless to say, though, there was nothing Richard could do about it, so we went back to the hiring hall. But by the time he got back to the hall, it was closed again. So he would have to wait another day and do it all over. Mm -hmm. But this time, he didn't have enough money to get another room. So he found some shelter for the night in an unfinished house and again, returned to the hiring hall the next morning. He was livid when he got back to the hall. You know, of course, he's pissed they sent him out on this, wasted his time, yep. whatever it is, right? So he couldn't find any more work still that day. And his sister had actually driven down that day too to see how he was doing. Uh, she took him for a drive in her car and they talked for about 30 minutes and they parked at East 100th Street across the street from some townhouses where these nursing students were living. Uh, his sister gave him $25 in the meantime, but he had kind of was done with the hiring hall. So he left and he walked about one and a half miles east to check into a nearby shipyard inn. He's got a room for the night and there he kind of remained for the rest of the day, drowning his sorrows in a nearby bar. But there was a woman at the bar that had caught his eye while he was drinking. This woman was 53-year-old Ella May Hooper. Now, Richard watched her as he sipped from his glass. As she left, so did he. Then she would walk away and hit up another bar. And so did he. Unknowingly, she had Richard tailing her as she went from place to place. Then, unexpectedly, when he saw his chance, he approached her and took her by knife point up to his room. Wow. There, he raped her and stole a black twenty-two caliber Rohim pistol from her purse. As we know with Richard, he's a bit of a coward, but when he gets a weapon in his hands, he becomes power hungry. 
And up until now, he's only ever really had a knife on him. Well, yeah, I was going to say, has he had a gun on him prior to? Not as much as we know. In the past few days, he's kind of been at his breaking point. Mm -hmm. Decline from job, decline, decline from job, kicked from his sister's place. He's just sleeping under the stars, basically trying to find somewhere where he can get some shelter for the night. He's not doing too well. So in his head, he had a plan. So he dressed himself up in all black with his knife and newly acquired pistol. Then he went out for a few more drinks until 10, 20 p.m. to build up his courage. Then he started walking to that nearby nursing townhouse at 2319 East 100th Street. And that's oh. where we're going to stop this episode. Oh, my gosh. Okay, the one that he was like when he was with his sister that he saw. Yes. And you're stopping it there. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So to sum this up, Richard went through one hell of a life so far. He really did. I'm not going to take that away from him. He had a shit upbringing. He's had a hard time. He's had a very hard time, but also he brought a lot of hard times onto himself. He did a lot of absolutely horrendous things mm -hmm. and he's about to do something even more horrendous. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine because look at what he's already done. Yeah. Wow. 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 So if you want to hear what happens next, you'll have to listen next time on Wicked and Grim. We're going to set the next episode out on Tuesday as we generally always do. Mm -hmm. A little bit late on this week, but. So that means a little bit less of a wait. Exactly. There you go. There we go. Words right out of my mouth. Well done. <laughs> um, in the meantime, if you're getting that itch for some more episodes, you can. Take a look at our whole library. We have almost 100 episodes out there already. We have Patreon where we have exclusive content that you can go sign up for and listen to. You can find us over on Instagram. Uh, you can find us on our website. You can find us on Facebook. I mean, we're on Reddit. We're on Twitter. Not that we use most of these things, but we are there. We're on a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we appreciate you being here. We appreciate you being on any of those platforms that we are. Um, our most active platforms are Patreon and Instagram. Totally. And yeah. Facebook, really. Yeah, too. yeah, that's yeah. true. So. Um, so either way, we thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. And until then. Stay wicked. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.